From Centered, welcome to the Take Root Podcast, where our purpose is to share testimonies that encourage you to deepen your roots of faith. Join host Karen Johnson to hear stories of those who have experienced God directing their own lives to a deeper, engaged faith. Well, friends, I am once again excited to introduce you to another dear friend of mine. Shannon Wallace is the author of the international best-selling book, We the Change. She is an executive coach, as well as a leadership and organizational effectiveness consultant to Fortune 50 companies and nonprofits on six continents. And she is a well-loved debate coach at her daughter's school. She's married to a retired Marine who has been her greatest support and who reminded her at a pivotal moment in her life that it wouldn't be a pilgrimage if it weren't challenging. So hi, Shannon. Thanks for being with us today. Karen, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for the listeners to get to hear your amazing story. And normally, I like to begin stories at the beginning. That's usually a good way to do it. But Shannon, you and I talked and decided to begin your story with this pivotal moment in your life. You were hiking the Camino Trail on kind of a spiritual quest, and it was a moment when you felt, as you put it, horribly alone in the world. Would you uh, tell us about this moment and why it still means so much to you? Yeah, it's often hard for me to talk about it without really being moved to tears because it is truly a transformational time in my own life, but also my own faith journey. So I walked El Camino de Santiago, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a, it is a 500 mile, or for those who are more familiar with the metric system, 800 kilometer medieval footpath that goes across Northern Spain. And I was walking it because I was called to the Camino. And uh, that's a long story in and of itself, but I genuinely was called to walk the Camino. And in this moment that really transformed my entire life, I was on what was literally called the Day of Devils. Hmm. So on the Day of Devils, um, pilgrims, that's what they're called, pilgrims walk for about 20 miles without any access to well water or shade. There are no trick trees there. You're in the middle of the breadbasket of Spain. You are in wheat fields. So you're walking through the wheat fields for literally miles. It looks like an ocean. And on this day of devils, I was contemplating what, what all pilgrims are kind of asked to contemplate three primary truths about the Camino. The first is the Camino calls you. And I believe that to be true because of my own experience of getting there. The second is that the Camino is a metaphor for life. Whatever you experience on the Camino, you will experience in your life in a very compressed time frame. And the third is everyone's Camino is different. And so in this day of wheat fields, I was contemplating my life and I was contemplating the recent tragedies I had experienced. In about 18 months, I went through the process of not only leaving my home country, moving to Vienna, Austria with my job at Coca-Cola, but once getting there within six weeks, having my job disappear because the company restructured and my husband who had left his job to follow me did not have a job and I no longer had a job, and we were living in Vienna, Austria. Wow. 
From that time period then, several things happened. Many months went by. We found ourselves in Madrid, Spain. My husband is half Spanish. He has Spanish citizenship and he found a job there. But he was very unhappy. He decided to leave the initial job, rejoin a company that he had been a part of in the United States as their European representative, but the position was 100% commission. And in the process of that, we discovered that I was pregnant. So we were overjoyed, but we had no money coming in. And he decided as a Marine Reservist that he should take a three-month Marine Reserve assignment back in the United States at Camp Lejeune. So he goes to Camp Lejeune on the very day that he leaves. I've already passed my first trimester. I was going in to see my uh, obstetrician. And I learned that I had suffered what's called a missed miscarriage. It's uh, 1% of all miscarriages and um, very rare. And basically, my body wanted to believe it was still pregnant, but I had lost my baby three weeks earlier. And I had no way of contacting him. Fast forward, that was um, in June. And in that year of June 2001, he's now at Camp Lejeune. Three months go by, he's coming home. He's supposed to come home on September 15th, but 9-11 happens. And when 9-11 happens, he is mobilized. And while he is mobilized um, for a week, we have a chance to be together. I get pregnant again. But very quickly during his mobilization um, and my going to help my sister over in Houston with her uh, new baby, I discover that I've miscarried again. Oh. Same same exact situation. Mm-hmm. I come home from that. I'm able to see my husband for Christmas and New Year's. And during that time that we see each other, he I remember him raising a glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. And he says, you know, Shannon, it's been a really tough year, yeah. but it can't get any worse. And I, in that moment, my stomach turned over. And literally two days later, I found out that my mom had stage four cancer. Oh. So I'm contemplating this as I'm walking the Camino, the loss of country, the loss of my support network, the loss of, you know, my husband in another country, my the loss of work, everything that was secure for me. And also wondering if I'm ever going to have a family and my mother is my complete rock and really thinking I'm going to lose her as well. That was tough enough. But it honestly wasn't that that triggered me that day. It was the wheat fields. So I grew up in South Dakota. I grew up in a very humble home. I say that uh, very explicitly because I did grow up under the poverty line in the United States, but I've seen real poverty in my travels. I've seen it in Africa, Latin America, Asia, Central Europe. And I grew up quite privileged because I was born in the United States. Um, But... The childhood that I grew up in was an ideal. Right, right. Yes, you've told me some about that. It was actually filled with quite a bit of trauma. You had an alcoholic father who left and a mother who suffered from clinical depression. And and um, so as you look back, how, how, do you see God caring for you through those years? And, it, and, and how does all this connect to the wheat fields on the Camino Trail? What triggered? So completely. I mean, so first of all, this is an interesting thing. Um, you know, 
Karen, as you know, I've shared this with you, that um, my sister went to Baylor University. And when I grew up Catholic, my sister went to Baylor and she started practicing the Baptist faith. And when she would call me, she would always say to me almost in one string, you know, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? <laughs> and she would ask this every single time at the beginning of our conversations. And one day out of total frustration, I said to her, I don't know that I ever decided he wasn't my personal savior. Ah. I was baptized and I have never questioned my faith in Jesus, mm -hmm. God, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that is true. And that is because even in the midst of all of that dysfunction in my family, I continually saw small miracles. I saw moments when our family didn't have food and it was brought to our home. Um, seemingly by a miracle. I saw moments where we didn't have um, coats for the winter in South Dakota is pretty brutal. And, you know, a neighbor down the street walks into our home and said, I found all of these things in our closet and Pam's outgrown them. I think they're just perfect for you guys. Oh. I saw, I had so many moments like that where we were taken care of that I believed not in magic, but in miracles. I, I saw these as miracles. And I think it was my mom's faith. Yeah. that helped us shape and believe in miracles. So God was very, very present in my life. Mm -hmm. And yet here was the interesting thing. I absolutely believed in God. And I believed also that God had given me incredible resources. Mm -hmm. So while I couldn't afford to go to South Dakota State University, I had enough credentials that Northwestern University basically took care of me and made sure I could attend Northwestern University. Wow. So I had ac academic chops. God had given me some skills. God had given me, you know, a brain to figure things out. And that was my job. That was my special gift. And I had been given the gift of optimism. And so God, I knew, was really busy taking care of things that were much more important than me. And in that moment on the Camino, that's what I was contemplating. Why am I always alone? On that particular day, I had about 16 blisters on my feet. I was incredible in incredible pain mm -hmm. from the blisters. I had had one friend who had accompanied me on the trip, but she was eight inches taller than me and all of it in her legs. So we could not physically walk together over an extended period of time. So I repeatedly walked alone mm. and I felt completely abandoned. I was the surrogate parent in my family. I was the one responsible for um, guarding my siblings from the incredible dysfunction that existed in my family. I took that role very seriously as the oldest child, but here I found myself just mired in it. And literally, I remember feeling just kind of on the edge of a complete breakdown. And I remember looking behind me and all I could see were the wheat fields for miles. And I looked in front of me and all I could see were the wheat fields for more miles. And Finally, in that moment of thinking, I am completely alone and abandoned, I picked up my walking stick and I literally shook it at the heavens like Moses and just rammed it into the ground and pounded the ground. And I was, dust was flying. I was hot and sweaty. I was crying and I was screaming like a three-year-old at God and saying, why have you always left me alone. Uh, 
I've always been alone. And when I actually needed you, and I had this moment where I felt paralyzed. I would never share, say to you that I think I was ever suicidal, but I was at a point, I knew I was at a precipice where I didn't know how to move forward. Hmm. And I, in that moment of paralysis, I remember thinking, I can't go on. Hmm. Wow. And I was screaming and crying. And all of a sudden I heard from behind me, Buen Camino. And it was kind of soft in the distance, but Buen Camino means good journey. It's what we say to pilgrims when we pass them on the path. And I thought, no, I mean, I literally froze. I thought there's no way I had just looked behind me and there was no one there. I was certain of that. But I took one step forward and I heard it closer, Buen Camino. And I thought, there is no possible way. I thought I must be hallucinating. But I slowly turned around and behind me, I saw this older woman approaching me and she was moving quickly. And she came upon me and she said, Buen Camino. And she started to walk with me. And I motioned for her to pass me because everyone always passed me. So I wasn't expecting her to stay with me. And I was in the, you know, I was completely humiliated. I look terrible. She's obviously seen my outburst, my craziness. And I just said to her, yeah, Buen Camino, all right. And she said, what? And I said, I am ready to die. And she looked at me and then she turned to a marker on the path. Now markers, stones are placed as markers, uh, as a tower of stones where a pilgrim has died on the Camino. Oh, wow. And she literally pointed to it and she said, it is not your day to die. Hmm. And I said, what? Hmm. And she said, it is not your day to die for I am here to walk with you. I've heard this story before, but it always makes me cry. And it makes me cry as well because it gives me, always gives me chills because I remember that every day. Yeah. And it is to me, God was, in God's benevolence was saying, you have never been alone. Mm-hmm. Let me just, I, I do not to this day know how this woman materialized. I know she's a real person because yeah. my friends later at the refugio, those are the kind of dormitories that you stay in, saw her. <laughs> we all saw her, but she walked with me that day from that moment forward. And I actually finally, about two hours into walking with her, I said to her, why are you walking with me? No one ever walks with me. Hmm. And she said, because it was your day. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, get up every morning and I look for the person who needs me. Wow. And today was your day. Okay. Oh, so she had been at some amazing. point, right? She, yeah, I have, that's what I believe. I mean, I really actually believe she was an angel who in that moment materialized. I did not see her after that. My friends had seen her. We had seen her along the path, but we did not see her after that. I don't know what happened to her. Um, And I will be honest, when I had seen her in the past, I thought she seemed a little unusual and I kind of stayed away from her. She was probably in her mid sixties. I was in my mid thirties at the time. And I just thought, you know, I don't know what's up with her. She's quiet, she keeps to herself, you know. But in that moment, that changed my life. I have never thought I was alone 
again. Wow. And even though I have my own moments of wondering, am I worthy? Mm -hmm. um, I know that God, and really what I resonate most with, because I think that's what I feel, is the Holy Spirit's presence with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, so I, I know I'm always, we are never, if, if you're living with, um, I say this to the listeners, if you are living with the illusion that you are alone, I tell you, you are not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. God is with us. That's so amazing. Well, I, I'm going to shift here a little bit. You, you went on this Camino trek um, a lot because your husband supported you. You have an amazing yeah. husband. He's supported you every step of the way as you have been, as you've told me your story over the years. And um, he's a retired Marine, which that's certainly a hero to all of us. And how is he a hero to you? Well, I, I'm so completely blessed to have Joe in my life. Um, yeah, I mean, from the very moment we met, I feel like I'm a better person because I know him. I also know that all those moments when I doubt myself, Joe never doubts me. He always believes in me. I mean, even from when you think about at that time, it was the late 90s. I've had so many friends. I'm I'm 55 years old. And my friends often comment on this, that when Coca-Cola asked me to move into a leadership role in Vienna, Austria, my husband said, I will leave my job at Accenture and follow you. Yeah, that's just amazing. That is amazing in and of itself. But then what I think is more important is when after he knew, he knew before I knew that something was really broken in me. So before I went on the Camino, we had had this one moment he could take some leave. So he had gotten stationed in Stuttgart, Germany, where the satellite systems are housed. And he is he was an intelligence and communications officer. So he had been mobilized to Stuttgart during that time, but we still couldn't spend time together. But he had had just a couple of weeks of leave and he could come home and see me. And I that was when I had gotten back after spending six kind of grueling months with my mom, with her radiation and chemotherapy. And um, I was completely uh, depleted. And I remember I had about eight books about the Camino sitting on my side of the bed. And Joe know, knew that I had felt called to walk the Camino since um, June of 1999, but he, I had, hadn't done it. It was now June of 2002. And, you know, I figured one day, one day, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember him looking at me and looking at the books and he said, are you going to walk the Camino? Mm -hmm. And like within milliseconds, this goes through my head. Am I walking the Camino? I can't be walking the Camino. He just got home. We should be trying to start our family again. And I mean, I was frozen like a deer in headlights. And Joe just looked at me and he said, I think you should go. And that's when it really began for me with his love and support. I mean, here he is. We're, he's home for a day. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, you should go. And that's why I went because I also had this moment of, oh my gosh, if Joe thinks I should go, something's really wrong. He's seeing it. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I discovered along the Camino, at the end of the Camino, what had been wrong. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll share that near the end of our conversation. Okay. All right. Because I was going to ask you about that. So we'll get back to that. Yeah. Well, so you, um, as an executive coach, you've been this for 30 years or so? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And leadership consultant of Fortune 50 companies around the world. You have some pretty amazing influence in people's lives. How do you see God using you to create kingdom change in our world? Well, you know, first of all, I think I, I definitely I call myself and people often. This, so this is the first way I, I work with leaders in three ways. I work with them one on one in executive coaching, which is intimate. You get to really know somebody in a personal way. Uh, then I work with them and their teams, helping them to launch big ideas, create new realities for their organizations. And then I design and develop leadership programs. So I help build the leaders in their organizations. And when I introduce myself in any of those scenarios, the way I begin is not with my chronological history or my um, experience, background, etc. I start with, I'm a messenger of hope. I'm an agent of change. Mm-hmm. I'm a guardian of the innocent. Mm-hmm. I'm mother to the lovelies. Mm-hmm. I'm guide of we the change. Mm-hmm. And when I share this with people, uh, usually I just share the first three, but they're very curious. What does that mean? What do you mean you're a messenger of hope? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I feel like my life is this one that is about radical transformation. And I was given a gift of optimism. I was given the gift of vision. And so when I work with you, I bring that with me. I said, I tap into my intuition. And usually it's really interesting. Usually people that I meet with, some will ask directly, are you a believer? And I will answer directly mm-hmm. in a leadership workshop. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm completely comfortable with doing that. And I also recognize that when I go into a business setting, I'm not being called in to minister to people. I'm called in as a consultant. So I kind of meet people where they're at. But in my work, I believe that the Holy Spirit works through me directly. The messages I share with people, often I don't know where they're coming from. I will say, I share with people, I um, I believe I have incredible intuition. People are like, how do you know that about me? I'm like, I, 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 but I also share with people, I pray before coaching. Ah. So I pray, I always ask for, I did it before we began today. God, what do you want to come through me today? Mm, Perfect, yeah. What am I meant to deliver? So I really believe that my work is about uplifting people, enabling them to realize their full potential, because that's honestly what God wants us to live in. Yeah, I mean, think about how different our world would be if we were all living to our full potential. Mm-hmm. we would not be treating each other so divisively. Right. Isn't that the truth? That's beautiful. Yeah. I love how you have heard who God calls you, you know, the names that he calls you, messenger of hope and agent of change. And I just, I love that. So uh, you've now written this international best-selling book entitled We the Change. And I happen to know that you actually wrote this book. You were inspired to write it for your daughters. So tell us about that. Well, I don't believe in accidents. You know, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in synchronicity and I believe everything. So everything happens for a reason. And so originally um, what happened was I was in, you know, coaches go, consultants go and usually recertify. So I was in a certification workshop few years ago. And I was in a rapid coaching exercise practicing with another coach. And he said, what's something you want to create? 
And I said, I'm going to write a book. And I, it kind of surprised me. It's like, <laughs> where did that come from? And he said, who's it for? I said, it's for my daughter. What's it, daughters, what's it for? What's it about? And I said, um, it's so that they can achieve anything they want to. They can realize their dreams. I said, because I have been able to do that. I've been able to transform my life and I know how to do it. I said, not only did I do it personally, change my life, I said, but I am a student of it. This is what I do is organizational change, help individuals and organizations realize their potential. That's what I'm about. I've studied it for 30 years. I know how to do this and I know how to make it simple. And so I was like, wow, that kind of surprised me. <laughs> but then I realized also what coincided about a year before that had that he that exercise happened where I kind of blurted that out. My mom had had a major stroke. Mm -hmm. And as I started to write the book, I realized I, I call my daughters my lovelies. Yeah. So I realized I was writing the book for my lovelies, but my lovelies also included the original lovely, my mother. Yeah. My mother was an artist. Mm -hmm. And on the day she had her stroke, she um, was working. She was 76 years old and working on an art project. Oh, wow. But she wasn't she didn't complete. I was the one who found her and it was around her. Okay. And I realized what if something happens to me and I can't express myself. Mm. And I know I have the keys. Yeah. I've been given this gift of understanding how you transform your life. Mm -hmm. And um, a big lesson in there is this one about, um, you know, that support shows up, mm -hmm. that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And if I don't share that with them, if I don't share it with my lovelies, then how will they know? Mm -hmm. I don't want them to have to struggled to figure it all out like I did. Yeah. And so then I thought as I started telling people, oh, I'm going to write a book for the girls, my lovelies are like, oh, I'd like to have that book too. Yeah. Would you consider giving it to me? And I thought, well, who are my lovelies? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I realized my lovelies are my clients uh, and my daughters. So my, my daughters are both literal and metaphorical. Got it. Right? That's beautiful. Or figurative, yeah. I guess you would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you talk about I'm just, I didn't tell you about this question ahead of time, but I'm thinking in my head about the transformative work that God does in us when we, as you've said, acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. So the idea of I do the transforming myself and I can do this. And then there's the idea of if I allow God to work in me and trust him and ask him, he does transformative work in me. So Talk a little bit about those two. Um, how, how are they intertwined? How are they in, in the way you think about well, formation? I, I, I just so I, I, I'm so moved that you um, feel called to ask this particular question because I all I view myself as a, as a vessel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really think I mean, in my profession, there was a point in my career and in my life mm -hmm. where and I had thought of writing a book years ago, but I, I soon recognized that was an ego thing. Mm -hmm. 
Like if, if there's a point in our careers where we're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting lauded. They think I'm great. They think I'm wonderful. They want me to move to Vienna, Austria to be this, you know, chief of staff to the president of Central Europe and Eurasia. And they only have 35 people in the world in a role like this. And then I'm going to come back to the United States. I'm going to be in a leadership role. You know, that can be kind of heady stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes you away from God. Yeah. And... And that's just ego. And that is not why we're here. And when I, there were some things that had to happen in my life where all of a sudden I really got, hey, it's not that I'm so awesome. <laughs> you know, I've been given some really lovely gifts. And, um, but I'm here, I'm here. I know who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I didn't come here to get a lot of recognition, mm -hmm. but there is work that I'm here to do that is meant to be recognized yeah. because through and like I said, I do before I work, I pray. I feel like the messages that I'm meant to give, even through the book, um, are coming directly from, I feel like from the Holy Spirit. That is really what I believe. I'm telling my story. And yet at the same time, there are moments where I'm like, wow, that was really inspired. Where did that come from? I don't know that it's coming from me. Like it just seems to flow through. Like, you know, I, I, the first half of the book, first the book's 11 chapters, the first five chapters took me 10 months to write. Mm -hmm. And then I had this kind of aha moment that I haven't really been tapping into the Holy Spirit. And then I had a conversation with the Holy Spirit. This is kind of how I work. You know, I'm like, okay, what do you want to have come? How should I do this? The next six chapters happen in about uh, two months. Wow. Interesting. And much better, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and... um. But I've had these uh, lots of experiences like that where 20 years ago I was in a program called Leading with Spirit and it was how do you connect uh, leadership and spirituality mm -hmm. and that's where I really started asking what does it mean to lead with spirit and um, the high potential leadership development program that I designed at Microsoft. Uh -huh. uh, I remember going to my boss before we launched it and I said and you know by the way it's a best practice. I said, we're going to get awards for this. And he said, we haven't, you just have it on paper on post-it notes. How do you know this? And he knew me. So I could say very freely, freely, I said, because I asked God, I said, what does it mean to lead with spirit? I said, it was all downloaded. I saw it all. I put it on paper and I said, it's God's practice. So it's absolutely a best practice. Wow. Well, and he was like, okay. So that's just kind of, um, you know, I think it is easy to get separated mm -hmm. from God in our work. Yes. It's an illusion when we become separated. We're not separated. Yeah. Yeah. But this illusion can present itself and we can get really tied up and look at me. Yeah. Yeah. And th that's why I think it's really important um, in my work, especially working with other people who I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a business psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I take that when I say I'm a guardian of the innocent, it has to do with work I do with children. But when I begin working with a leader or their team, they begin in a place of innocence. Hmm. They will have moments of deep insight. Often people cry with me. Yeah. They tap into things that they had not realized were blocking them. Uh -huh. And I am there to hold that container for wow. them. It's beautiful. What a, what a lovely way to say that.
And so you, you that's why it's so important. I, that's why I make the connection before yeah. I begin my work. Right, right. Yeah. Well, so um, it's beautiful. And I want to say I love your book. And I just, it is an excellent book. I would love for people to pick up a copy and read it. We the Change. But I want to go back now to the Camino. Because we now know you have two beautiful daughters. They're teenagers yeah. and you're in the mix of all that. But um, back to the Camino at the end, you told me a story about the end of the Camino and what the, the transformation that happened and what you laid down at the end. Do you want to share that with us? Yeah. So for me, what no one knew when I was walking the Camino and I don't, my husband didn't even know um, was that the miscarriages that I had had, and it still is hard, yeah. um, you know, and it's been over 20 years, uh, but the miscarriages I had really um, impacted me. Yeah. And uh, the loss that I felt with them yeah. was so profound that I had their pictures and I couldn't throw them away. Uh -huh. I, you know, there were ultrasound pictures of those two souls and I carried them with me. I didn't know why I was carrying them with me. I, I carried them with me. I said, oh, uh, you know, it's my 3G tour, three generations. It's for my mom, it's for myself, it's for my future generations. But I was, no one knew I was carrying these pictures. And when we finally arrive in Santiago, people are usually just overjoyed to see the um, cathedral and go in and, you know, and like many of the pilgrims, I went in there and I felt really moved but I knew it wasn't complete. I couldn't explain it. And my friend, Susan, who had been traveling with me, she was like, oh, this is so amazing. She felt so completed by it, but I didn't. And so the next morning I got up and I wrote a letter to St. James because that's who the cathedral, that, that the belief is that Santiago de Compostela means St. James of the stars. And that's where St. James is believed to be buried. And so that's why people walk this path. And so I wrote a letter to St. James and I said, and I put the pictures of the ultrasounds in the envelope. And I said in the letter that I put in the envelope, you know, dear St. James, in order to move forward, I can no longer carry these souls with me in this way. And I haven't known how to let them go. So instead I turn them over to your care. And then I sealed the envelope and I put them in a box where people will leave things for the church and St. James, et cetera. And I put them in the box and I, it was instantaneous. Wow. I had what I felt like I was flooded with hope. Hmm. It, it immediately flooded with hope. It was like it showered, like I, I can't even explain it. It felt like all this warmth and showers of warmth coming on me. And all of a sudden I felt hopeful. What was crazy was I didn't know I had lost hope. Oh. I didn't know that was what was broken in me that I know I'm a messenger of hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I had none to give huh. for myself or anyone else. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was given hope and I've never lost it since. Mm -hmm. And so for me, really the gift I, I try to share with people is that Ultimately, you know, I was counting my blisters, my 16 blisters. Everybody was counting my blisters with me all <laughs> along the Camino. And I realized in that moment that really what we want to do is count our blessings 
not our blisters. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a powerful statement. That really is that there's been so much research done recently, even about that, that grateful people, people who commit to and focus on being grateful are healthier and yeah, both physically and mentally. Oh yeah. And, and from, um, I actually have a gratitude practice of my own. I encourage my clients to have gratitude practices because what it does is it helps to relax us. And when we are from a neuroscience standpoint, this is the coach in me coming out Mm -hmm. from a neuroscience standpoint, uh, when we are calm, when we are relaxed, when we are grateful, Mm -hmm. we have access to more cognition, Mm -hmm. perception, creativity and the ability to collaborate. Wow. Powerful, powerful stuff. I started a journal just recently where I write down just one thing a day that I'm grateful for. And it's just so fun. I look forward to it. Well, oh gosh, we could just talk all day here, but um, there's so much, but I want to ask you, I mean, certainly I want to encourage people to get your book because it's just so good about helping people to think through change and 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 finding their potential and all that but if if you were going to give just one suggestion one step that you want to leave the listeners with today to begin making a process of change what would that be so there are 11 lessons in the book i will share with uh the the listeners that it's written in two parts it's the story of my camino is part one and my reflection now 20 years later on what that Camino means. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second part is a complete workbook. And that was really important to me because inspiration Mm -hmm. is no good unless it moves to implementation. Yes. So I I wanna share that. So that's what you get in the book. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I really think, so you've already heard me say, um, you're not alone, you really aren't. Mm -hmm. But here's what's more important. What makes you believe you're alone? I call it your inner critic. Mm-hmm. Your inner critic is that little voice in your head that's telling you all the ways that you are not good enough. Right, right. You're not worthy. You aren't capable. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you what I know to be true, mm-hmm. which is the inner critic is lying to you. Yes, yeah. And that inner critic. I do believe it comes from a place of incredible negativity and it is, if there's evil personified, it is in that inner critic's voice because I believe it is the evil one. John 10, 10 says, you know, Satan comes to kill, steal and destroy, but Jesus comes to give us life to the full. Yeah. And I, so I thank you for bringing that up. And I, I, something that I always encourage the young people I work with to do is to, write those down, all those lies that you're allowing to float around in your head. And you can yeah. be it on an invisible piece of paper, but list them because we've all got them and then hand them to God, see what he does with them. And then ask him to replace those lies with his truth. Listen for his words of truth to take that in to, uh, and, and focus on that. And to call out the lies as lies, like literally yeah. like, that's a lie. I'm going to a lie. God. Yeah. And I'm not good enough. That's a lie. I'm handing that to you, God. Now you tell me what, and then you hear things like you're my beloved daughter. 
you're my conveyor of hope. The things that you have, have so eloquently shared about how you have heard from the Lord. So Shannon, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story. I never get tired of hearing uh, this story uh, that you have to share written on your, on your heart by our Heavenly Father. So thanks for being with us. Love you, my friend, and we will talk soon. I love you too. Right. And thank you so much for having me and, and giving me a platform to share the story I most want to share that's in this book. Awesome. Wonderful. God bless thank you. Thank you for listening to the Take Root Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and share. To learn more about Centered and hear more stories of discovery and growth in Jesus, visit us at centered.org.